Well, good morning. Why are you here? Uh, good question. I, uh, I want to make a couple of announcements here before we uh, move on. Uh, today, well, this was sort of a, a change in, in the course of things. Uh, Al is here today. That, that was not the original intent, but uh, uh, things are changing in his life like crazy, and so he's uh, he's decided he needs to take some time off and, and really focus on the things that are going on in his, uh, in his home state. Maybe California's about to erupt. Maybe something like that's fixing to take place. I don't know. But anyway, I, th- I really think it's a good idea f- for what he's doing. And so he went, he was over here for Keith and Maribel. They had a, a previous, uh, uh, scheduled event and, uh, and his family decided, you know, he needs to, he needs to finish out those things. So since he was here, I said, well, you need to come over here and let the people know that you're, you're still around, but, uh, uh, we won't see you for a little while. And I don't even know how long that is. It might be three months. Because he is ADD, and he's spiritually ADD, and I mean, everywhere he goes. So uh, anyway, uh, we just wanted a, a, a chance to say uh, not goodbye, but we'll see you later uh, for a while with, with Mr. Al. And uh, gosh, he's been coming out here for a long time, over 30 years. So I used to have hair the color of... Who's got a hair? Josh, not this one. <laughs> that one. <laughs> I had hair that colorish. He had hair. We were young and soldiers. <laughs> anyway, so he's, he's, he's been a major asset to our church. And, uh, and, an apostle to us, no doubt about it. And we sing a song like "We Shall Overcome." I look at now. He has made us warriors, basically against our will. Right? Is this true? Most of you were nicer than God when you started. Not so now. Asking God to catch up with you. So anyway, come on up, Al. And uh, we're just going to kind of flow today. See what what gives. Who knows how this turns out? But. Um, Make sure you bless him on the way out. We're not going to, uh, he's not going to preach tonight or tomorrow or anything like he usually does. It's just one service today. And we'll go back to our normal schedule where y'all worship at night and do your Bible study for the sword generation. And then, uh, we'll just move on. Okay. Push that button, Mike. I will push that button. There we go. Al Houghton. Hallelujah. Well, at times they be a changing. So, uh, and I mean, my family's got change going on across the board. I've got so much stuff up in the air, I have no idea how it's going to come down. And uh, so when I shared some of that with Larry, why, um, and I was coming over to see Keith and Mary Bell, and we've had an awesome time doing team ministry uh, over there. He said, uh, okay, I, I want you to come over on uh, Sunday and, and uh, just share your heart, what's going on. And so, uh, truth is, I don't know. <laughs> I know I'm in probably the, this, I'll tell you what I know. I am probably in the biggest transition I have ever been in in my life. What's it going to look like? How's it going to come down? Where am I going to live? I mean, I may be out of California before this year's over. That's entirely possible. I've prayed about that for decades. I believe for it for decades. And there's one thing I've noticed about families. At my age, senior citizen type families, when their grandkids go somewhere else, it isn't long till they're nearby. And my oldest son has four boys. And he is going to be out of Texas this year. Out to Texas. Out to Texas this year. He's a CPA and attorney, and um, he spotted a job he would like to do with the attorney general. I don't know whether he'll get it or not, but he's he's certainly been prepped for it, and uh, he's he's got all the qualifications. So I'm convinced we will not be in California a whole lot longer. Oh shoot.
But there's a ton of stuff up in the air, and I can't even speculate beyond that because i got way too many pieces of the puzzle that are up in the air, and I have no idea where they're going to come down. Hello? So I'm going to teach you about times and seasons. Teaching myself. So if you want to know if I'm preaching myself today, yeah, I am, and you just get to listen, okay? How's that? Open your Bible to Acts chapter 1. Praise the Lord. And I trust I'll help you a little bit. Because, you know, God doesn't do anything except he tells it to his servants and prophets. So I can tell you about some stuff that's coming in this next chronos. Now, does everybody understand that? That's a Greek word, chronos. Kairos and chronos, times and seasons. God changes the times and the seasons. We had just completed three major 40-year Kronos leadership generation periods under the restoration of the Holy Spirit to the church. Historically, that's where we stand. We are stepping over this year into Kronos number four, the fourth 40-year leadership generational period since the Holy Spirit was restored January the 1st, 1900, Topeka, Kansas. For three times 40 is 120. 1900 plus 120, 2020. Bing. Look at somebody and say, you just stepped over. You just stepped, whether you like it or not. And some of you won't. But the majority of you will when you find out what God wants to do through you. I mean, all you have to do is stand up and say, Jesus, I want everything you got for me in my generation. I was born for a purpose. I was chosen by you. I was purposed by you before I was ever born. And you gave me a heart for your kingdom. And you judged me worthy of the kingdom. That's all in chosen. You were number one, chosen. Number two, made holy. Ephesians 1, sonship gifts. We've talked about those over and over and over again. This is not new news. You're adopted. You're in a, you're God's kid now. I don't care what your last name is. Once you say yes to Jesus, you are on a pathway to adoption in his family. And when you say yes to that adoption, now you are God's kid first. And the son or daughter of your parent second. Because you just joined an eternal family with an eternal purpose. And you were formed and slated for this before the foundations of the earth. Now, if the church ever stands up in who they really are, if you and I ever accept our full identity, we can have the same relationship with Father God that Jesus walked in. That's what we're promised. Same relationship. Well, if you ever say yes to that and look in the mirror and agree with it, then there's a little aspect of something you can do that you're probably not doing right now. Because it's not the time or season for it. Hadn't been. We've been waiting for it. We have to wait on God. When we're in God's family, we're on His timetable. You give up your own timetable and you yield to His. And I can tell you one thing's guaranteed about God's timetable. It stinketh. It takes way too long to, to get to some of the promises. It is painfully long to get to some of the promises. So the first conflict you have to bow to, I choose to be patient. Yeah, right. Tough, isn't it? Because stuff, 
I once had strength for that God promised, still hanging out there, and now I got a hundred percent believe Him for the strength. It's amazing. Why would you call a guy like Moses? He's ready to go at 40, and you make him wait another 40 till he's 80. And then, just for grins, once he gets the nation out of Egypt, you let him lead him for another 40 in the wilderness before you take him in. What an assignment. No wonder he struck the rock. Some of walking with God is not easy. It takes more than we have. And we have to recognize it, yield to it, and bow before God and say, if you don't give me this ability... I can't fulfill what you promised. He's a master at making us dependent on him. Now, the quicker we choose it, the better it is. We can avoid a lot of stuff if we choose. We got some choices to make, church, and we make them along the way. And then we have to live with them, and then we have to grow through them. And the great thing about God is He's seen every choice you and I made before we ever made it. He still called us, He still purposed us, and He still brought us in and said, I will use you. With all your mistakes, all your failures, all your tangents, all your misturns. Since I created you, I'm big enough to fix you. I don't care how messed up you are. And I'll redeem your messes. And I will cause your messes to praise me. Nobody else can do that. But the God you and I are connected with. And he does it for his glory. Did you find Acts 1 yet? I mentioned it, didn't I? Didn't I tell you? (laughs) Acts chapter 1. Pick it up in verse 4. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you should not... You should be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this chronos, verse 6, write chronos in there if you don't have it in your Bible, will you at this chronos restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know the chronos or kairos, which the Father has put in his own authority. Now smile at somebody and say, it's not for you to know. All right, now this is prior, prior to the ascension, prior to the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Because the very next thing that happens, Jesus ascends, wait for the promise, because I'm going to empower you with the Holy Spirit. All right, we know that, right? Now go to First Thess 5. First Thessalonians chapter 5, pick it up in verse 1. All right. The season, the, the season just changed. What happened in First Thessalonians 5? Well, the season has changed. The Holy Spirit has come. Look at verse 1. But concerning the, oh, here it is again. Chronos and Kairos. Times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly. Are you kidding me? It's not for you to know, Acts chapter 1. Jesus ascends. He sends the Holy Spirit. And now, 30 years later, this is written, you know perfectly. 
The job of the Holy Spirit, job one of the Holy Spirit, he empowers us to yield to the Father, embrace the cross, embrace God's plan, embrace God's time schedule. And when you and I say yes and bow our knee to God's timing, the job of the Spirit is to make us know the times and seasons. Jesus said, when he has come, he will show you things to come. So, if you don't know what's ahead, you may not be spending enough time praying in tongues. Because when you pray in tongues, you are aligning yourself with the spirit of truth. And the spirit of revelation who is charged with making us know perfectly the times and season. Because if you're going to fulfill the will of God, you have to know what he's going to do in that time frame. It, it, it w- would be unjust to expect you to fulfill his will and not know it. I mean, no good dad operates that way. No way. Sometimes we have not because we ask not. You know, one of the problems I have with this congregation, I know you too well, so I get to preach on. Plus, I have the advantage of preaching after sitting through Sunday school where everybody reveals their hearts and what they're going through. And I have to resist the temptation to be a firefighter and help put out fires and just bring the word that I'm hearing from on high. So I often have to rank ADD doesn't help either. When it comes to that issue, smile at somebody and say, my Bible says I know perfectly the times and seasons. So I trust the Lord to reveal that to me. I trust the Lord to reveal that to me. Hallelujah. All right. Now, because you're in a brand new Kronos, leadership generation, and the Kairos, the individual thumbprint, moves of God haven't unfolded yet. That's the next thing. And every Kronos since 1900 has had seven distinct Kairos moves of God. How do you know that? Because God spoke that to me two Kronoses ago. (laughs) And said, go, here, here are the seven. And I thought, man, God, you know how to hang people to their prophets. Because if I prophesy that and it doesn't come to pass, he said, I don't care. Tell it. So I did. First series. Well, one of the first. Seven Kairos of the next Kronos. This isn't my first rodeo. I've been around here a little while. I know how to hear God, and I know when he's talking to me, especially about times and seasons. So I'm, I'm going to outline some places where you're going. Now, you're not ready to go there yet. I know that. I'll make that comment while I'm there. But I can't help it if God has shown me some of what's coming in this next chronos. I probably won't be around for all of it. Pretty sure I won't. If I make half of it, I'll be trusting God to walk without a help. Yours would be motorized. Shoot. When you're 74 and you ask God for another 20, that makes you 94 when you're out of here. If you want another 20. Here's what's possible to you. Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 1. Go to Jeremiah 5, verse 1. And please look at somebody and say, you could do this if you're willing. You could do this. This is a prophetic promise of God. Jeremiah 5, verse 1. Run to and throw through the streets of Jerusalem. See now and know. Seek in her open places if you can find a man. Look at somebody say, single man. One person, man or woman, single believer. 
If there is anyone who executes judgment, who seeks the truth, and I will pardon her. It only takes one individual to save a city. It only takes one individual to save a nation. Are you kidding me? God will do it with one. That's the promise. God will do it with one. One person. I believe in this next chronos, you are going to see single individuals change cities. But in this verse, it tells you what they have to do. If you can find a man, if there is anyone who executes salvation? No. Anyone who executes love? No. Anyone who turns the other cheek? No. Anyone who executes what? Judgment. Wow. <laughs> okay, what does that mean? I'll go back to 1 Samuel chapter 7. Let's find out. 1 Samuel 7. Now relax, guys. I'm showing you a place that's, that's gonna, something's gonna manifest in this next 40. Um, church is not ready for this yet. We're gonna, we're gonna talk about what God's doing to get the church ready right now. And so when I get there, I'll identify that. But I wanna show you something you're going to see in the next 40. All right. It's been forfeited by uh, the restoration. In this last 40, we, we saw a restoration of uh, apostles and prophets. But one of the things they were called to do, restore the fear of the Lord, was forfeited because of mixed seed, which was mammon. We, we, uh, somehow, my generation had a terribly difficult time overcoming the spirit of mammon. And consequently, we forfeited part of what God wanted us to restore. And so we are having to bequeath either one of the two things. Either we're going to get to taste it and see it in our final years, or, or we're going to push it over on you. You're going to have to clean up a mess that we shouldn't have left you. So I'll apologize for my generation and say, as for me and my house, I'm going to shoot straight and give you the truth. And I will not claim that legacy because I've done everything I can to teach people how to walk in the judicial to save. Now, whether or not I'll ever get to the White House and try it out, I don't know. But I can tell you right now, if I get there, you'll see a trail of dead bodies along the way. You prepare for that? You dream about that. I don't know what you dream about, but that's what I dream about. <laughs> Restoring the fear of God to the church. I'm not on my timetable. have to bow. It is. Hallelujah. have to bow to His. And His is good. His is much better than mine. You know, I have found out a truth about the issue of judgment. And that truth is, unless you heal people first, they cannot move judicially to save because the pain of the wound, the hurt that's not yet healed, they will misread, misjudge, project on somebody else. And their flesh will get in the way of obeying the Spirit. So the way you get the church ready to move judicially is what Moses did in Egypt. And we, we've talked about that. Because the last time I was out here, we talked about that. God asked me the question. I couldn't answer. What was Moses doing when he went in front of Pharaoh? God, I don't know. Is it in the Bible? I said the Bible 44 years. I couldn't answer that question. I didn't know where it was. 
Yeah, but it's only two verses. Where the heck is it? Psalm 105, 37. When he brought them out, he brought them out with the silver and gold. And there was not one feeble among three million slaves who have to build all Pharaoh's cities and have to, and he uses, abuses, kills them, you know, when, if they can't perform. Are you kidding me? So how many new knees? How many new ankles? How many new hands? How? Three million people, every single one healed. And all of a sudden, I said, God, why are you asking me this? He said, it's a prophetic pattern. And you have never seen that you face in your generation almost exactly what Moses faced in his. You don't think your generation is like the one he faced in bondage 400 years in Egypt, but it's a whole lot more like them than you, than you know. You haven't discerned that. Are you telling me you're sending a healing revival to turn your church into a judicial army? That's exactly what I'm telling you. So what did we hear? In Sunday school. God's at work. God's restoring. God's healing. God's turning captivity. Better believe it. And what's the standard? Not one sick nor feeble among them. We got a ways to go, little. Haven't hit the main body of that healing. No, I don't think so. I think we're just dabbling in the edges. But the full, what's coming first? What what are you going to see first? You're going to see a healing revival. My first seven years in ministry, I never had a meeting. I caught an anointing at a place called Melody Land. I caught it. Somebody else birthed it. Another generation birthed it, but I caught it. I never had a service. Seven straight years. I never had a service where somebody wasn't healed, delivered, uh, saved, baptized in the Holy Spirit. The word of knowledge flowed like a river. And it was second nature. And I haven't seen it since. <laughs> it's coming back. It's coming back. There is no way you can heal Every single person in your congregation, if we don't get a full restoration of the word of knowledge, gifts of healings, in other words, God has to come and settle on the house. And when God comes to settle on the house, people drive through the parking lot and get healed. I've seen that, heard those testimonies. It happened in my early days. Hallelujah. Uh, That's where you're at right now. You have stepped in the water of the God who has chosen to turn you into an army by first healing you. So he is treating this generation in church as if they've been in the wilderness. And he's bringing us out of a spiritual wilderness by healing, delivering, turning our kids' lives around, blessing them, healing them, restoring them. It's coming to our house. It's coming to our house. But what's the end of it? You can't be a single person that does judgment that saves a city if you're still wounded because that affects your discernment. Some of those wounds are God-inflicted. And those are the ones he's really after. I know.
to qualify for the magnitude of what God wants to do, we have to make some choices. And the choices that Samuel made in his generation set him apart from all those who came before him. He chose not to manipulate for money. No three-pronged flesh hook for Samuel. He said no. He didn't... He he kept his... uh, His personal boundaries. He kept his integrity. He didn't cross those boundaries. He maintained his purity. His commitment... To his wife. He maintained his boundaries. And I'm in the generation who threw boundaries out. Back in my youth, we were were the generation who spawned, said yes to the sexual freedom movement. We, We brought a mess to America. And then God intervened. He delivered us, saved us. Called some of us to go preach and now go straighten out the mess you helped create. Wonderful. (coughs) Help. We got a mess right now, guys. In our nation. We've got it. They teach God mocking. They teach you break every boundary. But Samuel restored the fear of the Lord. To his generation. Because when God sent him to anoint David. The elders of the city went out to see him. Are you coming in peace Samuel? Because if you're not we're leaving town. Because when you pray. God starts killing people. hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. Samuel was a single man, but he executed the judgment of God. For a whole generation, the Israelites subdued the Philistines. What are we subduing in church right now? Ourselves. We're having to subdue us to the biblical boundaries of God. We're having to reclaim the biblical boundaries of God for our families, for our kids, for our grandkids, for ourselves. And as we reclaim those, God says, okay, now now that you've chosen to do my covenant, I can trust you over on this judicial side. Once I get you healed, you can save a city. You can impact a nation. It only takes one. And that's the glorious future that God has set in front of us. Some of you are going to win cities. Some of you are going to change nations. But we have to restore those biblical boundaries. Samuel did. Hallelujah. If we can do it, and we can. I mean, some of us have, you know what? I've known this for 40 years. And from the time I got saved, I have been tested in this area and have chosen to walk it out. Man, I know this dimension of Samuel because I've faced it myself and been empowered by the Holy Spirit to make the right choices and keep the boundaries. So don't tell me that you can't do that because I know you can. I was propositioned in my prayer room one time by the best-looking babe in the church. I got through that. I went out there and I said, number one, I'm never counseling a woman again with a closed door. And I'm going to have somebody at least within earshot or in the same room. I'm not doing this again. There isn't no way. I didn't use wisdom, but I didn't expect it. I never had that happen before. 
The last place as a, a, a somebody who's pastoring, you expect to be propositioned is in your own prayer room. God Almighty, how did that get in the door? First year I was in ministry, my discernment was not what it is today. Because we had free, everything was free of wheeling, flying in the Holy Spirit. Somebody came up with something, you know, we'd hand them the mic. This girl's got a raincoat on, it's raining outside. And, uh, she, you know, she's been looking normal to me. I've got a word. <laughs> she, she starts, my word is, she starts thinking, uh, starts singing, how great thou art. And flips open her raincoat and she is 100% naked. Now talk about tick you off. 40 wait this. God, how did I even let that in the pulpit? Now when I look in the mirror, I don't, I don't look so stupid I can't walk, but I acted that way tonight. And I don't ever want that to happen again. God opened my eyes. You got to show me what's out there. I mean, in order to save people from this crap. You want to know where I got this judicial message? Living in California. One of the most perverse places on the planet. Everything goes in that place. Didn't used to be that way. That's a state that elected Ronald Reagan for a governor at one time. My God. I have one promise from the Lord. I will move you out before my judgment hits that state. I've carried that promise for almost 30 years. As far as I know, this may well be the year. Church, we can't do this job without God. There's no way. We can't. We just... We have to have the discernment of the Lord. We have to have the power of the Holy Spirit. And all he asks us to do, keep my covenant. Keep my covenant. Establish biblical boundaries. Walk with me. Just walk with me. I'll give you the power of the Holy Spirit to do it. If you will walk with me, then the day will come. And there, there's a, a little, uh, because <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't actually finish this up if I don't explain the, the judgment thing. Because, well, if you, if you look in, uh, in that verse, in Jeremiah 5, verse 1, it, in my study Bible, it refers you to Genesis 8, Genesis 18, where Moses, the angel stopped by Moses, shall we hide? Uh, stop by Abraham. Shall we hide from Abraham what we're about to do? Seeing he's a covenant guy. He's going to be a great nation. And so they say, no, we, we have to share with Abraham what we're going to do. So they do. We're, there's an outcry that's come to us. Well, there's a little booklet uh, back there called, and uh, some guy did this for me because God gave me a series called Outcry for America. It looks like this. And uh, it's back there. It's free. Just pick one up. And so I did the series, and then about six months later, the, uh, this guy sent this little booklet to the offices, and he said, I hope you like this, because I took your series, and I tried to condense it, and so and put it just into about eight pages. So, any, but, you know, it takes five minutes to read. And what it is, it's the essence of how you use judgment to save in prayer. It's how you pray for a city or a nation like Abraham did. Because the Lord came to him and he said, I know Abraham, he will do mishpat, same word, Jeremiah 5, 1. If I can find one person who will do judgment and the example is Abraham. And what did Abraham do? I know him. He will do. He lives in righteousness. He keeps biblical boundaries. So he can do judgment to save. And the family of God needs to be saved from Sodom. 
Lot and his family need to be saved. You got family somewhere that needs to be saved? Oh man, church. Listen, listen. God says, if I can find one who will walk with me in this arena, who will covenantally qualify by keeping their biblical boundaries, then I can lead them to save a city or save a nation. And all Abraham did was say, God, you're the judge of all the earth. You cannot slay the righteous with the wicked. That would not be just mishpat. So Abraham's doing of judgment was crying out to the Lord. You can't kill everybody in California because you have to first separate the righteous from the wicked. So I have faithfully held that before God. But on the day I move you out, judgment will come. It only takes one. That's what Jeremiah 5 1 means. It doesn't mean you're channeling or funneling judgment. It means you're crying out to God to separate out the righteous. God, you cannot, it is not right to destroy the righteous with the wicked. And because Abraham prayed that, God moved out the righteous and, and then he destroyed the wicked. That's all God's looking for to save a city or a nation. There's your standard. You can reduce it to two principles. Keep covenant. Keep your biblical boundaries. Walk in the spirit. Don't ever pray judgment until the Holy Spirit triggers you. And right now, the church can't go there because we're not healed here. We got wounds from God that have to be healed before we can even discern right. So we're probably looking at seven, maybe ten years of healing, deliverance, the miracles of God, the goodness of God. The Israelites became an army when they personally tasted the restoration goodness of God. When God healed their family, when God delivered their kids, when God set them free. And they got the faith to go take the silver and the gold and men, they walked out. And they walked out judicially. They went from slaves through healing. God did it through healing. And that's what the Lord was telling me. What was Moses doing when he wasn't in front of Pharaoh? He was healing the Israelites. And I said, that's where my church is right now. So guess what we need to practice? Healing each other. Healing each other. So you want to see answers to your faith? Put your faith out for somebody who's going through it. Who's walking through the fire right now. Put your faith out for them. And move your faith toward them. You want to see God's hand move. That's where we're at. Move toward the ministry of healing and restoration. I'd bet 10 years. Before we get to the point. Now, while we're doing that, there's something God's doing on another track with, with guys like us in ministry. What's he doing? He is bringing forth the true apostolic. He's bringing forth the true prophetic. And the one difference between the mixed seed prophetic, see the mixed seed prophetic assumes that they can walk in presumption. So they'll prophesy something you want to hear. I just talked to a family who 10 years ago, I had to prophesy them, you're about to face the biggest trial of your life. You're going to lose one of your kids. Their son went out. The following month, their son went out. only reason I remember this story is the mom came up to me at a meeting and reminded me. There was a season when I really didn't like you. 
But then I started thanking God for you because you were trying to prepare me for what was coming and everybody else was speaking, good, 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 and you told me the truth. Nobody wants to hear one of your kids is about to die. That's the last thing you, you... Most people wouldn't say it even if they heard it. You never get invited back to this place. That's not my job. My job is to tell you what I hear. And let the chips fall where they will. If I'm going to keep my boundaries with God, well, guess what the last verse of Deuteronomy 18 says? Moses, when a prophet speaks something, it doesn't come to pass. He has spoken it presumptuously. It's not from the Lord. And the very last phrase, you do not have to be afraid of him. So what are the prophets assigned to do? Restore the fear of the Lord. So as you and I are enjoying the healing and the blessing of God in healing and restoration over this next, say, 10 years. What's God going to be doing with the, the, the leadership who is qualified? He's going to be restoring the fear of the Lord. Just like Moses was sent to Pharaoh. Boom. So he goes to Pharaoh in the morning. And then he goes home and does a healing service. In the morning, he goes judicial. In the afternoon and evening, heal my people. My God, he must have been schizophrenic. (laughs) He had one foot in each world. Where is the fear of the Lord? Where are the prophets that the church needs to be afraid of? They have to be brought out. Where are the apostles, the true apostles, the church? They have to be brought out. Now, there's one last thing I want to say to you guys. Well, forget that. I'll probably buy like that in five minutes. There's one ADD thing I just thought of I need to say. All right, so <laughs> no guarantee it's the last. All right, and, and that is this. The greatest prophet, one of the greatest prophets of all time, Elijah, Would we agree? If this can happen to the greatest prophet of all time, it can happen to us. And and you don't find out why this happened until Romans 11. But go to uh, 1 Kings 19. Hallelujah. Now, this is a temptation, and, and as long as you stay in the, in the healing anointing and walk that out, you won't have to worry about this, okay? But you've got to see this because Elijah just comes off the greatest victory he's ever had. He brought fire down, and he killed all the uh, prophets of Baal. And what does he get threatened by? Jezebel. And so he takes off, and he goes... To the mount, why does he take off and run? You only find this in Romans 11. He was pleading after he judged and killed the prophets of Baal. He was pleading with God now for judgment on Israel. He was sent to save Israel, not judge Israel. But Romans 11, it says it. He is pleading with God against Israel. The very nation he was sent to save. He's a prophet. What kind of mistakes do prophets make? They see what's coming and they try to do what's been assigned to the next generation. William Branham, classic example of my generation. He saw the teaching move coming. He tried to teach and he ended up birthing a cult. Well, that's history. But it, what am I saying to you? It's happened in my generation to the number one prophet in the nation in the 60s, William Branham. The same thing Elijah did, exact carbon copy, same mistake. 
So, who is this word for? The, this word is for those of you who are called to the prophetic and apostolic ministry. You cannot, you cannot, you, you better learn the times and seasons and you better bow your knee to the seasons of God and don't step ahead. You may think you've heard that you're still going to be here when uh, the Lord comes and you're going to be raptured out. Or you can latch hold of that and believe for it and it creates a deception in your life and you're not going to be raptured out because God's not through with the church yet in any way, shape, or form. And all of a sudden, you end up Completely irrelevant because you didn't bow to the times and seasons. God have mercy. The greatest prophet, one of the greatest prophets in the Bible made that mistake. God didn't hide Moses' mistake from us. Whap, whap, hit the rock twice. He struck Israel. He struck the nation. He was mad. Elijah, strike the nation. God, I'm ticked. The idiots rejected me. Oh, crap. Oh. So, you know the story. Now, here's what I want you to see. How does God answer? What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? Oh, boy. What are you doing here? So he ends up on the mountain, verse 14, 1914, 1 Kings, 1914. So he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. Kill them. That's understood. That's in the context. Then the Lord said to him, Now, what has God just done? So he gets to this point, because that tells you where he is. But he asked for judgment, and God gave him three manifestations of judgment. Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, verse 11. So he did in a strong wind. That's verse 11, 1911. Strong wind, hurricane, tornado. But God was not in the tornado. He was not in the hurricane. That's what he asked for, judgment. Give me judgment, God. Okay, I'm going to give you three manifestations. Strong wind tore the rocks, but the Lord was not in the wind. An earthquake, strong earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. You know anything about fire, Elijah? A little bit. Know how to call that one down. Fire! Oh, but the last time I called fire down, God was in the fire. Oh, crap. God is not in the fire. Three manifestations of judgment, God wasn't in any of them. Because Elijah had stepped ahead into the next generation's anointing and he was trying to execute it, but not with God's heart. So God was not in the judgments. Look at what God said to him to do. Verse 15. Then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria. You shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king, uh, as Hazael as king over Syria. Uh, Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Maholah, you shall anoint him as prophet in your place. Now look at verse 17. There are two places in the Bible where God anoints people to kill. This one in Revelation chapter 11. And in Revelation chapter 11, he's anointing us who are left as his witnesses to kill. There is a generation that will be here for that. God called me to help prepare them. And I've tried. I've got the theology. I've written the books. But now, as I embrace whatever I have left. God has me teaching people who you are in Christ who need to be healed, who need to know their identity because they can't do this without the right foundation. 
It took somebody to go get the theology. I didn't ask for that assignment, but I got it. And so the reward for obedience, let me show you how I'm going to turn my people into an army. I'm going to heal them. I'm going to heal them. So here in my latter years, I get to turn totally pastoral. I don't know what to do with myself, Rick. <laughs> it's a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde moment. Oh, God. Look at this. It shall be, verse 17. Somebody smile, somebody say, it shall be. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. Whoever, whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. There's your judgment, Elijah. I heard you. I'm pouring it out on the next generation. You would bring it on the righteous and the wicked. They won't. They'll bring it only on the wicked. The only way you and I walk with God and get it right is when we yield to the Spirit. We can't be offended. Elijah got offended at Israel. Kill him, God, judge him all. Can't do it. I wish I could tell you I knew what all was ahead. I don't. I have to walk it out as it unfolds. Maybe a while before I see you again, like Larry said, maybe out again in three months. I don't know. I got too many pieces in the air. But I've given you today what I do know. And I want to pray that you experience the full measure of the healing, delivering, anointing of the king. Everything that Jesus paid for. So that the day will come when you can be the one in a city that saves it. So would you stand with me and cup your hands before the Lord? Father, I love this church. I've been coming here for for decades. So Lord, in Jesus' name, you showed me what was coming. And I have given what you have shown me. Now Lord, perform... Your word was signs following. Bring a healing anointing on this house. Like you did at Melody Land years ago. Let your clouds settle over this house. And in Jesus' name, heal, deliver, set free. Let the gifts of healings and word of knowledge flow again like a river through this house and through this city. Father, and through this state in the name of Jesus. Save this state from what the enemy is trying to do to it. Turn it, Father, by the power of the living God. Pour out your spirit and give us a harvest in this state and use us to save it and to turn it back to you. Lord, we thank you for it. We rejoice in it. And I ask you to pour it out on this house and on this people. Let the water of the spirit flood into these hands, Father. In this house that are cupped for it in Jesus name. Because everyone is saying I'm here. I'm available. I will walk in your boundaries. I will do your word. I will walk in your spirit. Honor them Father. Bless them. Pour out the fullness of who you are. As king in their life. Prepare them for that day ahead. When you will come and say. I'm anointing my witnesses. Oh Father. In Jesus name. Make them the army. That they have been created to be by your loving, healing, delivering hand. Let the sky open and let the blessing of God fall on this people in Jesus' name. I put them in your hands and I bless them, Father, with your very best. Hallelujah. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys. Bless you big. Amen.
Hey guys, uh, we do expect Al to be back, but what if he doesn't? So, I want to just say, you know, you ought to take a shot and give him a hug. <laughs>